All right. Well, welcome to the latest edition of Cyber Coast to Coast. I am your host on the East Coast, Scott Schober. I'm also the president and CEO of Berkeley Veritronic Systems. I am joined here with my brother, Craig. Why don't you say hi, Craig? Hey, it's Craig here coming at you from Long Beach, California. How are you doing today? Do- doing great. Doing great. We just had a, uh, a winter storm, kind of the first major winter storm today. It wasn't that bad, but maybe three to six inches, depending upon where you are in central New Jersey. And it made for an interesting commute today, needless to say, and uh, pretty cold outside. And uh, most of the snow on all the major roads is now melted, but it sure does look beautiful because it just Uh, stuck to all the trees. So we kind of kind of missed that change of seasons. Yeah, I can't talk about the snow here. But last night we had crazy fog. And um, if you ever heard the a foghorn from a big ship coming in. They were going all night. It was just like, wow. Oh, oh. Like I just heard them like, all. Oh, it was great. It was, it was kind of eerie. That's and cool. It's the first time I've, I think I've ever heard a real one and not something from a movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, before we dive into our first story, I just want to mention to our listeners, this episode is sponsored by Cyberlytica. They provide proactive cyber crime intelligence for more information about all the great stuff that Cyberlytica does, visit cyberlytica.com. And this first story I thought was an interesting one. And uh, you, you selected this one. And I'm kind of glad you did because after reviewing it and just reflecting back on some of the products we've done, it, it brings back some great memories. And what we're talking about specifically is Wi-Fi. And the title of this is FCC Wins uh, win clears the way for a massive Wi-Fi 6E upgrade. And this is taken from The Verge, which is a, a great source for technical articles and updates and things. Um, did you have any particular takes or did this too also make you kind of think back some of the developments that we've done at Berkeley Veritronics over the years in, in the world of Wi-Fi? Yeah, well, that's what immediately sprang to my mind. Um, I mean, there's no security angle per se in this story, but you always, you know, as a as a geek, I always want bigger, better, faster. And mm-hmm. this is this this particular upgrade isn't necessarily faster, but it does allocate more bandwidth by the you know, the FCC is opening up about 1200 megahertz spectrum. So that's going to allow for less interference, less kind of channel overlapping and, and all those problems you get when you have too many users and too many channels crammed in a small, you know, spectrum space. Um, And of course, if you read down the article further, they say, well, there's a Wi-Fi 7 coming and Mm -hmm. that's going to be crazy with 320 megahertz channels, up to 46 gigabits per second, maximum transfer rates. Uh, I don't, that's going to be completed by 2024, they claim. So I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, because that's a, that's a crazy, uh, you know, theoretical speed, but uh, back sure. to the security stuff, you know, I remember, I mean, you, you know more about this, you were more hands-on with this stuff and you spoke to people, uh, with companies, uh, like Apple, when, uh, we developed, um, uh, grasshopper was the first tool mm-hmm. way back when it was back in 97 or so when they yeah. yep. ratified the 802.11 spec, the original yeah. 802.11 B I remember getting, you know, the first Wi-Fi router. I remember, uh, Steve Jobs doing this famous presentation with uh, the original um, iBook where he put the, he would, he would, he was such a great showman. He would hold out a hula hoop (laughs) and he would put the uh, iBook iBook through it. it. 
while it was doing a file transfer just to say, look, no wires. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And I think, I think so much has happened since then, but uh, to your point, Apple, I think was really one of the many leaders. We, we were fortunate enough, Berkeley Viratronics, we partnered and worked with Intersil who developed some of the first um, silicon that went into the access points back then. And we built the grasshopper that you mentioned was really a a simple focus tool that was used for testing. And, and the way back then, 802.11b, there was a limited number of channels that were um, a, a, you know, a certain amount of spectrum and then a guard band in between. So you didn't have interference and it would be anywhere you know, between channel one and, and 11. And then there were a couple additional ones for uh, European Wi-Fi that came about a little later, but it allowed you to operate or have interoperability between Wi-Fi devices so they wouldn't interfere and step on one another. There really wasn't a whole lot of smarts in the devices back then. In other words, you would set it to a static, hey, I want to transmit at channel six, was that, which was a designated frequency and, and bandwidth, and that's what you did. But guess what? If the guy in the office next to you or the building across the street also set his access point and devices to that same channel, suddenly you had interference and now your throughput would drop down. Uh, things have changed radically since then, and access points actually have some some smart capability. And but we built thousands upon thousands of handheld tools, Grasshopper, um, and then a whole Yellow Jacket series uh, for for more than a decade. And, and we still build uh, certainly some some Wi-Fi tools now, focused a little bit more on the security side and whitelisting and keeping authorized devices and finding rogue AP devices rather than. Uh, back then, we were building a lot of stuff to mitigate interference and really to map out Wi-Fi coverage so you could have seamless coverage with your Wi-Fi devices. But again, between uh, the output power, more spectrum allocated, additional expansion of the uh, IEEE standards beyond just 802.11b, um, advances antennas, everything across the board, Wi-Fi has gotten so much better to the point, uh, and, and you probably see this too, as we talk about migration from 4G LTE to now 5G as they're turning up more and more uh, towers, a lot of the stuff works because it's offshot to Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. there, there's access points on, on the telephone pole in a sense. So the broadband providers are creating hotspots, allowing you to surf. So you can now constantly or seamlessly connect in, be it at the airport, a hotel, uh, on the street, around your house with Wi-Fi hotspots all the time without you even realizing it. So they're not using up cellular data. There's a big struggle to, to really handle the capacity. Um, I was reading something just the other day of Verizon, I think for uh, the most recent quarter, put on several hundred thousand new customers. And I was kind of amazed. You think Eventually, you'd have all the customers out there, but they, everybody keeps adding more and more customers. It's amazing. Mm. And there's, yeah, I don't know where they're getting them from. If they're stealing them from other carriers or they're just new customers that, that are just entering the world of Wi-Fi and cellular data. Yeah, yeah. It's, good. It's, a good, it's a good question. To some degree, there's some churn because of what naturally happened between T-Mobile and Sprint, I guess that kind of merged. So I'm sure some people bailed and shifted and, and, and that happens, but there's also younger and younger generations that are coming on board that are embracing mobile phones at a very young age. So I think that's a big mm -hmm. part of it. And then add to it as well. You've got this wave of things and we deal with it all the time. 
everything and anything has got remote monitoring capability. And most of the time it's with a cellular modem. It's, it's in all the major car manufacturers in the new electric vehicles and electric vehicle chargers, uh, remote oil rigs in the middle of, of Texas, um, everything and anything you can imagine that you need to monitor data remotely, a cellular modem could do it for probably about $5 a month for a cellular plan. So a lot of the carriers have uh, added tons and tons of accounts. So that's another stream of revenue. And a lot of times they're very narrow band where, where they're not using a lot of spectrum in remote areas. If they can make an extra five bucks a month per module that's out there, that could translate to millions, if not billions of dollars in newfound revenue. So I think that's partly why a lot of the spectrum is slowly plugging up. Plus our, our uh, insatiable appetite to consume content and video and streaming uh, on our devices. I, I know I, I years ago, I never really did or never cared to. Now I do it all the time and I'll be watching something maybe on Apple TV and I'm streaming it, but I'll be sitting there looking down at my phone and checking email and downloading something or pop up something else. So we're constantly using Wi-Fi to the limits. And I think this story is certainly appropriate and uh, ties in nicely. Yeah. And I'm always, I've always been fascinated about the, the handoff between 4G or 5G to Wi-Fi, you know, when you're entering or leaving your house and stuff. And I'm always like measuring my speeds. You know, mm -hmm. this, is a tr this is a true geek quality of me. You know, I'm always measuring the speeds to see like uh, in New York, for instance, when I used to live in, in Brooklyn, we would get, you know, we had 4G, but the 4G was actually faster than the Wi-Fi in my house that I'm, you know, tw <laughs> I'm 20 feet away from. And I was amazed yep. by that. And then but then I would walk a few blocks further down and suddenly the cellular would go way down and I'm like, oh, well, this is where I want Wi-Fi. So you could see why they install all these public Wi-Fi access points to complement all of the little gaps in coverage from on the 4G and 5G stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think this cool article from The Verge which was kind of interesting. You brought up this new, new spectrum that the FCC is allocating there. Um, at 1200 megahertz. So that's a big chunk of spectrum there for unlicensed six gigahertz bands. And when they call it unlicensed, really that is just different than if we think about the cellular wide area network, what our mobile phones traditionally work with and communicate when we send a text or make a call or whatever else, use our cellular data, um, that's licensed spectrum. In other words, the carriers are paying billions of dollars to take ownership of that spectrum, Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile here in the States. And, and for them, that's how they make their money. So having a, a good use of spectrum and that working with their phones and the plans can make them a lot of money based upon usage. Um, now, when it's unlicensed, nobody's paying that, but it does have certain constraints and limits that the FCC puts. In other words, you can't output power too much. You can't overlap and step on others. So it's got to be spaced out. And as what we we're talking about before with some of the channels and stuff. So what's important to realize for all of us is 2.4 gigahertz and five gigahertz, which really traditional 80211, that, that's, that's being maxed out if you had to think of it that way. It's like a freeway and you're sitting in a traffic jam. Everybody is offloading 4G LTE as well as 5G to Wi-Fi right now because the, the, the pipe is so clogged and we all want more bandwidth, more speed, lower latency, and, and, and there's trade-offs there. So 
enter now Wi-Fi 6 or Wi-Fi 6E. And, and there's an interesting thing this article talks about, which was helpful for me to kind of reiterate what, what I've heard, but I didn't, didn't sink down. And, and the Wi-Fi Alliance, which, which works in conjunction with IEEE and the FCC and these other groups, they decided to rename the Wi-Fi generation. Some people may wonder, like, why call it Wi-Fi 6? What happened to Wi-Fi um, 802.11? Initially, it was B and then A, B, the G and N AX. Yep. So Wi-Fi 802.11 AX. If you go out and buy a, a modern Wi-Fi access point or, or home router, it's probably going to have Wi-Fi six as well as a new phone. It'll probably have Wi-Fi Wi-Fi six, which is every everyone touting, which really is the the numerical nomenclature for 802.11 AX. So just to just to kind of spell that out and simplify it, if you take a generation back. And probably the, the access point or the Wi-Fi router in your home right now and what, what your phone is probably using, it probably has, if it's a modern iPhone, 802.11 AC, which mm -hmm. is the equivalent of Wi-Fi 5, just to put it in kind of layman's terms so everybody understands what those generations are instead of having the complicated IEEE standard that doesn't roll off your tongue easy as I messed it up even saying it. But, but Wi-Fi 5, Wi-Fi 6 is easy to say. And of course, they're introducing Wi-Fi 7, which is, takes it to the next level, as you were saying there, 48 gigabits of max speed, supposedly, right, under right. ideal circumstances. But And before, before we move on to our next story, in case our audience doesn't believe that this is a, a, a hotly uh, competitive market in terms of Wi-Fi and routers, um, at this year's CES show, uh, TP-Link, they're a, a you know popular brand of router. They introduced a Wi-Fi 6E router that actually has motorized self-adjusting antennas. <laughs> so it, oh, you know, if, if you need every every bit, all the bandwidth you can get to to dominate in your online gaming or whatever you're doing, I guess that's going to be the way the way to go. I think it's overkill, but um, it's just to let you know it's out there. Everything's out there. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is getting better and better. And I think more standards and more things as they keep improving, it helps us to push the envelope of what can be achieved through wireless, especially now as you start to think about wireless, smart TVs, smart homes, smart cars, whatever the case may be, we're becoming an interconnected world. And, and obviously the concerns that we deal with all the time, it's not just connectivity, but security aspects and, and implications there that, that come into play. But it, it does make our lives easier and easier. Um, and, and thinking about that, it kind of cues us up nicely to, to our next story there. Just to maybe uh, just mention our, our, our sponsor and, and thank them. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Cyberlytica providing proactive cybercrime intelligence. For more information about all the great stuff that Cyberlytica is doing, visit them at cyberlytica.com. And, and this next story is, um, I think it's kind of cool. And, and I know you've played with them and I've played with them too. I've got some of these Apple AirTags. And uh, this is from uh, CNET that this uh, article, Apple AirTags become useful tool for Canadian carjackers. Um, this, this is a, an interesting spin. We think about AirTag and, and this might be equivalent if anyone's not familiar with it, you want to give them just a, a brief, maybe layman's terms on what, what is an AirTag? Uh, yeah, it's a simple tracker device, very inexpensive, about $20 or so, um, that uses a kind of 
in, in the case of Apple, and I believe Tile does the same, there's a few other trackers that might do this, but to make it work effectively and be low power, uh, you really need, uh, you have to have a mass of them. You have to have kind mm -hmm. of a wireless mesh network, if you will, of users and devices out there so that they can connect. Because, you know, when we're talking Bluetooth low energy, we're talking, you know, 30, 40, 50 feet of of range to detect this. So if you put one of these things on your wallet, on your handbag, something that could get stolen or lost, your car, your car keys, um, you know, if you're more than a hundred feet away from it, it's not going to see it. However, if someone else, another Apple user is within 50 or, or less feet of it, it's going to notify you where it is on the map based on where their device saw it. Now, of course, mm. their device can't, they can't see where it is. It's all kind of anonymized in the background, but it brings up a lot of tricky issues with, you know, what's to prevent me from taking an AirTag and putting it in someone's purse mm. and letting them go walk off. And now um, I kind of have a, a tracking, virtual tracking service that Apple designed by Apple that I use my iPhone for. And yes, I, I could commit crimes and, and do all types of things. Is it, is it Apple's fault? Not necessarily. They, they built in some protections, but you know, there are, there are notifications when you um, get uh, astray from your device too long, mm -hmm. it will no, it will notify the other person, Hey, there's a device that's been in your proximity for the past, you know, X number of minutes or hours, you could potentially, you, you might be being tracked by someone, you know, do you, do you, you, and the, and there will be um, an alert that goes off too in the device so that you can find it if they stuck it in your car or your handbag or whatever. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think of this story? And um, I, there was another story too about a, uh, it was just, I think it's a, sports illustrated swimsuit model yeah. who just reported Sloft that she or whatever yeah yeah what 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 happened there well there somebody slipped or at least it was believed i think she was at a bar or something like that a club or i forget what but somebody allegedly slipped an air tag into her coat pocket mm. and obviously when you're a, a celebrity or in magazine sports illustrated and a, and a beautiful model this and that i'm sure that You've got to, you know, you probably attract a lot of attention and, and maybe sometimes also unsavory characters that might be stalkers or other things like that. Um, now, I guess you, you can kind of argue it both ways. And I'll I'll just share the like the kind of awkward, creepy thing. I mean, I, I have a bunch of air tags. I keep one in my bag in case I ever lose my bag. And that way I can get an alert on my phone and find it quickly. This and that. It was interesting. Um, the other day, my, my wife, who also has an iPhone, she was. I guess, walking by my bag and I forget exactly where my phone was, but an alert pops up on her phone. And she's like, what the heck is this about an air tag and tracking? And do I want to agree to this or not? Are you tracking me? Is someone else tracking me? Like what's going on? So she didn't even realize, and I didn't explain to her. I had, I was doing some testing and I had some air tags in my bag and fooling around with the technology, but it gave her the creeps right away. And I think maybe to some extent, this is exactly what happened to that model. That model's thinking, geez, I didn't really know about this. So I'm not actively using it. Suddenly I'm in the middle of something, but I don't know what it is. And, and, and the part that I don't think that in itself is that bad, as long as the person has the option to opt out of something and not be tracked and, and deny connection to their phone and control it. And, and to some extent you can, you can 
shut your Bluetooth off, shut your Wi-Fi off. You know, you, you do have some level of control, but there are messages now that Apple's improved and they pop up to ask you. Um, but I think it goes to the greater conversation about privacy. How much privacy do we, do we have? Are we being followed, tracked? And I'm surprised because I look at Apple as a strong technology hardware supplier that respects privacy and security. And maybe I was a little taken back. And I don't know if, if you're in agreement with this or not, but myself, my, my stance on Apple kind of got jaded a little bit. And I said, what are they doing? They're stepping into an arena that's very questionable with privacy here. And, and I started to, to kind of extrapolate in my mind, what are some bad uses could I use this AirTag for? And I came up quickly with several different things if I was a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And I said, maybe Apple didn't think ahead on this. They, they're just kind of pushing technology. Is it, is it cool? Yes. The size, you could change the little coin cell battery. It lasts for months. It works really well. The direction finding feature I tested works really well. It, it, it's not just using um, Bluetooth also, but it's connected into Apple's ecosystem and talks with all the surrounding iPhones as long as you allow the opt-in. But it also has some um, um, near-field communication um, protocol as well. So the combination of everything they do, that to me blows me away technology-wise. The price tag is ridiculously cheap. I don't know how they make money on it, honestly. I, I, we oh, yeah. could never do that as a company and actually make a dollar on it. We'd probably I, lose $100 on each one. <laughs> yeah, I use it on my uh, dog's collar. Um, yeah. They have pet services where you could locate your pet, but they're GPS based or they have like a proprietary, some kind of network they use. Um, and it's a subscription model. And you're looking at hundreds of dollars a year to keep tabs on your pet, or you could pay 20 bucks and keep tabs on your pet. It's kind of a no brainer. I mean, yeah. it's not made for that specifically. And technically Apple says this isn't made for stolen items because they never want people to confront thieves. They don't want to get into that arena, but like you said, they put themselves there. So now they're dealing with some of the consequences, but, um, I guess I wanted to maybe push back a little bit, uh, in terms of like, I could, I could foresee a lot of bad uses, but in the end, when we're talking about privacy and stalking and even car jacking car thieves, for instance, um, you know, it's really a, it's a, it's a physical crime. And in order to get that air tag into the swimsuit models jacket, someone put it there. So that mm-hmm. same person could just as easily walk down the street, 20 paces behind her, follow her to her home. It doesn't really change anything in my perspective. All it does is it makes it a little easier to stalk multiple people, you know, multi-stalking. We might hear this term mm-hmm. soon, you know, because you could put air tags all over on all of your enemies or whoever you're you're trying to keep tabs on. And yes, you can't stalk more than one person at one time. But if you're if you're a real stalker and you're really obsessed with something or you want to steal their car, you're going to follow their car and make your move as soon as they leave their car and steal their car. The air tag doesn't give you any true advantage except make it a, a slightly more convenient, you know? Sure. Sure. And I, and I guess maybe to some extent we agree to disagree in that I, I think what bothers me more is Apple is the enabler it's bringing this into their ecosystem and they're enabling people that don't really fully understand the implications of the use of location-based technology 
to be part of the solution. But nobody knows what what the ultimate uh, tracking is for. In other words, it gets put into this model's purse. She didn't know about it. And there's probably 10 other people in that bar or restaurant or wherever club that are through their phone. It's communicating her whereabouts. But is that good use of technology? In other words, did Apple overstep the bounds in this case? And to some extent, I think they might have because they're utilizing it almost as a, a, a means to convey the signals through other devices without people fully realizing right. some of the possible implications. And well, I guess that just bothers me a little. It goes, I mean, it really goes a little further than that because just th- think about now uh, non-iPhone users or people that don't have phones. If you have a tracking device in their pocket and they don't know it, they're not going to know. Yeah. Um that's why Apple had to come out with an Android uh, mm-hmm. software so that you install it on your phone. So now you can, it's a little utility thing. So now your phone could be, uh, it, I guess, relays to Apple's network and says, hey, there's, a, there's an AirTag that's unaccounted for, that's away from its owner. You know, you might be tracked as an Android owner, but now you're asking Android owners to download a, a, cert, a specific app. And, you know, they don't want to do that. They don't, they probably don't like Apple. So now they're going to download an Apple app onto their Android phone and doubtful. (laughs) It's, you know, you can't deny the the creepy factor. I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay that. Uh, I guess I'm just saying if it's, if it's anonymous, anonymous crimes are going to be done anonymously, regardless of Apple's help or not, you know, uh, you know, tracking someone that, you know, without their consent, that's, that's a, that's yeah. an entirely different issue. And that, yeah, that's, I don't think we're even, we're not even getting into that because we don't, our stories aren't sure. that, but that's a whole other type of crime that is yeah, not that's good. True. That's only going to be made worse by these types of devices. Yeah. And may, maybe just as a final thought as, as, as a contrast, go back a year, two years ago before the air tags existed, um, and what was the traditional way that people were tracking others? It was with a GPS tracker. The difference there, most of those are, are a, a Qualcomm chipset that's in this tiny little black box that's got a magnet on it. You stick typically under someone's car, a, you know, a, a cheating spouse or whatever, or a criminal, a good guy, bad guy, whoever you're trying to track doesn't really matter. But there, somebody had to actually subscribe to a service mm-hmm. and they were paying the data charges to the carrier that owned that license spectrum because it worked over the, the cellular WAN, wide area network. So signals, latitude, longitude, and time are coming in from the satellite to that specific location where the tracker was placed on the car. Somebody had an application that then would allow them to control how many times the tracker would ping the whereabouts or once the vehicle started movement and so on and so forth. But, but there it was a little different because I saw somebody paying you know, typically 10, 15 bucks a month for the tracking service, the software to install. It, it wasn't that convenient. The difference here is Apple, as usual, they take the cost out of it because a typical GPS tracker is 100 to 200 bucks and 10, 15 dollars a month. You're going to spend three, four hundred dollars a year. Apple turns that into a twenty dollar solution that you don't have to pay any money for, for subscription services. Doesn't tie up license spectrum from the carriers. It's all using license free or unlicensed um, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth bands. Man, it, it makes it makes tracking of things affordable, convenient, easy to do, and, and hence my red flags go up from the 
the world of cybersecurity and stalking and things like that and creep factor, as you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. And a couple of our products do um, use, you know, their cellular me signal meters, but they can, but what you just described, the technology, they can um, detect these, uh, these GPS trackers that are hidden in things. And I, I still remember the day you uh, told me, Hey, why don't we, why don't we mention that? Why don't you put it as a bullet point in one of our products? Mm -hmm. I thought you were crazy at right. first because I was like, well, you know, people are, you know, buying these, these are sophisticated, sensitive cellular receivers. Who's messing around with, you know, GPS tracking, who wants to detect a tracker that might be in their car or something so weird. And sure enough, though, you were right. As soon as I started mentioning that as a bullet point and creating more ads and marketing geared towards GPS tracker detection, suddenly uh -huh. all the interest went way up and people were asking like, oh, can I be tracked? Why are you, why are you selling this to people? That seems mm -hmm. illegal. You know, <laughs> so many, so many questions and complaints. And, you know, we, we, we generally keep our sales to, you know, law enforcement and, and, um, responsible, uh, customers. Um, but it does raise flags for our non-customers about uh, those types of issues as well. Cause now, now it makes us look like we're somehow helping the bad guys when yeah. all, all, it seems like all day, all we do is help the good guys uh, yeah. by our you know view. Yeah. And, and, and that is a good, uh, there's kind of a line in the sand. And I always think we, we spend an inordinate amount of time vetting our customers, making sure our products are going to the proper, proper lawful channels and they're used properly within the bounds to, to keep people safe, all of us safe and the world a safer place. But like anything, good can always be turned into evil when things are modified or it gets in the wrong hands. So we, we, we ourselves have to use extreme caution all the time. Um, and, and I think people just need to be, be aware of that. And, and I think tracking people and assets has become a tremendously large business and it's going to continue to grow, especially with the fact of, of Apple launching AirTags. I, I try to imagine how could they make it any better in the future? I can't, but I'm sure they will. They'll constantly, mm -hmm. how to make it lighter, smaller, faster, um, cooler packaging, uh, more accuracy, perhaps. Um, yeah. Knowing Apple, it will be every, all those things, but not cheaper. <laughs> yeah. And the price is going to soar once you get addicted <laughs> right. to that ecosystem, like, like all of us are. So, yep. um, but that's okay. And, and as, as I laugh, I look around and probably you, you could do the same thing looking around your, your home office. I see an iPad there, an iPhone here and an iMac there. Uh, you know, I, I watch air tags. We are Apple part of the Apple ecosystem and probably one of their best customers as a company, as well as consumers and users. Um, but, but this was probably the first time in all the years. And I remember the, the early days when you and I used to play in the basement, playing with Atari, uh, you know, or 2600 playing games uh, and playing on the Apple IIe computers and stuff that I've always been a strong component of everything Apple's done. This is the first time that I kind of backed up and said, I don't know if I agree with this AirTag fully. It doesn't stop me from playing with it and testing it. I just don't know if from a, a philosophy, if it, if it meets the goal of what they're trying to sell from a security perspective mm -hmm. to, their, to their mass audience. But their, their audience is so big and, and their sheer size, maybe it doesn't even matter anymore. And this is just another drop in the bucket for another gadget or thing that they're, they're selling. Yeah. Cool, cool stuff. All right. Well, just again, as we jump into our last story here, winding down uh, 
Friday night for me, Friday afternoon for you in California time there. Um, this episode is sponsored by Cyberlytica, providing proactive cybercrime intelligence. For more information, learning about all the great stuff that Cyberlytica is involved in, uh, go to their website, check it out, cyberlytica.com. And one of the cool things that they have on their site that uh, I, I was privileged enough to actually have a part in was called uh, uh, a cybersecurity survival kit. You're probably asking yourself, what in the world is a cybersecurity survival kit? Well, go to cyberlytica.com and learn more. It's pretty cool. And uh, again, honored to be, to be part of that offering that they have there. Um, this, this next story is, is coming from Popular Science. Uh, this is a magazine that I, it's been near and dear to me for probably, oh, probably about 15 plus years. I'm a subscriber to it. I always love reading some of the stories, this and that. And it was kind of nice to see that um, they did some coverage on CES, which, uh, which was really the, the first week every year uh, of the new year, bringing uh, some of the, the hottest tech gadgets, cutting edge things. It's very, a lot of times it talks about innovation. Some of the things make it to market. Some of the things don't always make it to market, but most of the stuff eventually does in one fashion or form get in front of us in, in, in our smartphones and our smart homes. Um, anything on, on the, in this article that really maybe popped in your mind that that was a standout as, hey, this is new, this is innovative, or just something that maybe our listeners are not that familiar with? Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I, I guess it's kind of almost more of the same one of these for me, um, but it, it raises flags and the same things we always talk about, uh, you know, too much data, not enough control over data um, and what is the value of it. But I thought it was clever nonetheless. Um, these, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, Sangold light bulbs. Mm -hmm. These things, you know, you, you use, depending on how big your house is and how many rooms, you could use up to 20, 30, 40, 50 light bulbs in your house. Each, light, each one of these light bulbs actually somehow monitors heart rate, body temperature, and sleeping patterns, uh, uses, some, uses FM, uh, a continuous wave, and tracks all these biometrics. I don't know what the range is on that. They didn't, you know, these, wow. these companies are notorious for not getting too specific, especially at CES, because mm -hmm. they really want to get the attention. But, you know, I kept thinking, who needs this much data? I have a, I have a smartwatch. I have, you know, I wear the Apple watch daily and I don't need most of that data, but yeah. I like Apple. I like their styling and it does give me some important metrics for activity that I, that I do uh, appreciate, but I'm just trying to think of the, of the customer or person who would want these, their heart rate monitored in any room they go into while they're sleeping and all these types of things. It just seems like it's, it's looking for a hacker to get hold of it. And I'm not sure what value that data could be for a hacker, but certainly they would know if you're home or not. And, mm -hmm. and right there, that's not the, that's not the greatest uh, security system. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. And, and, and I too, I, I, I use, love the Apple watch on my iPhone. Also, I, I use the, the health app to, to, to track stuff, just the basic things for me. I don't really do heart rate, but I'm always very curious, um, when I go up north, up to the cabin, do a lot of walking, and I like to, to track how many steps and how far. Like, like uh, last weekend, I went 5.5 uh, miles, went around the whole big lake up there, mm. and and it was 
interesting to see how long did it take, how many steps. And, and it's nice to benchmark it against maybe past performance to see how you can improve. And I think it's a great way to, to kind of stay healthy, but stay connected to technology too. And it makes it fun. It's not just a boring walk. You, you kind of mix technology in there too, and then compare it to yourself there to, to improve. Um, it does seem strange with some of these like bulbs that you mentioned. I bought some of the Philips bulbs there, mm-hmm. different colors. I think it's called Hue. Um, again, some, some possible vulnerabilities that can be exploited early on that they came up with. Cool concept. Do I still use them to the extent I, I used to? No, honestly, I don't. I think I actually unscrewed them and put them somewhere and just put a regular LED bulb because I don't need to light my office up uh, any particular hue or shade. I just need a nice bright white light so I can do my work. Yeah, But I may not be the, the average consumer. There, there was a cool mention of a, um, I think in this article there, a, a robot and the labrador yeah yeah it's called (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of a a, certainly a fitting name there and i I, as far as practicality i have absolutely no idea how practical or useful any of this is it's more i i think companies using some of their maybe residual funds to help people appreciate that they're innovative and cutting edge and taking technology to the limits and it's probably like going to the, I've gone to the Chicago auto show or the New York auto show. You see concept cards. And that's what rem- reminds me a lot of the CES stuff. Some of it's just mm-hmm. proof of concept, but how far they could push the limits and then to get the pulse back for, from consumers, get the pulse back from us as techies or, mm-hmm. or cybersecurity enthusiasts. When, when they hear the pulse back, they know, yeah, that's important to, to our audience. Let's put it in there. Now it's going to be a, a new uh, feature that the customers are going to embrace and, and buy a lot of, I think it's a, it's a smart way to do it. And um, it, it's probably more effective than just doing some cold marketing study where somebody's checking off a box. It's letting people go to a show, touch, feel, experience the technology and uh, take it to the next level. Yeah. And I've been, um, I've been, I guess, a home, a smart home enthusiast for years, but I'm the worst kind for companies. Cause I don't, I don't buy the equipment. I, yeah. I like to look at it and study up on it, but I've, I've yet to see, and all these, um, uh, uh, products that were introduced, at least the one in this story, I think they all support Alexa, Google and mm-hmm. Apple ecosystems. Um, so it's good that they, they do that, but I, what I want is kind of a foolproof smart home system that works. And I'm, you know, I'm an Apple guy, so I'm, I'm, I'll be happy if it just works with Apple. I don't need it to work with all the other things, but I, I have yet to see that even there's so many confusing standards when it comes mm-hmm. to smart home. I don't think anyone's done it right yet. And I guess I'm still waiting for, um, you know, the perfect doorbell, the perfect, uh, smart bulb, the perfect smart bed, the perfect mm-hmm. <laughs> smart uh, refrigerator, all those things. I'm, I'm fine with all those things, but I don't trust, like you were talking before with the IOT and, and all the, you know, all these kind of, uh, fly by night companies and, and, uh, chipsets with lack security standards. Um, how can you know you can trust it if you don't have all, if you don't trust, um, you know, the ecosystem, from an Apple and they don't, if they don't do all the devices in your home, if you have just one, Mm -hmm. that's not an Apple device, for instance, 
then who's to say that that can't be the weakest link in the chain, at least, sure, at least sure. for me, you know, I'm sure, you know, Android and Google people and Amazon people, they have their preference and that's fine, but nobody does it all. There's always going to be like a missing link in that chain to make your home truly smart. And so I guess I'm waiting for that moment when the whole house will talk to itself and I can feel like it does that securely, you know? Yeah, it's a good point. I, I think I kind of concur there because for, for it to be adopted throughout a house, it has to be part of a secure ecosystem. And I don't think anyone's there yet. I know they talked in this article a little bit about uh, Schlage and uh, the, the encode plus lock and, and that they, they, they're the first to support Apple's home key feature and the new iOS 15 there. Um, so if you got your Apple watch or your, your iPhone, you can open up a door. Um, I, I understand it. Although sometimes I ask myself some of these things, if, if I got to be in front of my door and I got to get on my phone, authenticate myself, find the app, open it up or do, do something where I'm pushing buttons and authenticating it and proving I am who I am. Couldn't I just take a key out of my pocket and unlock the door? Sure. So, so sometimes technology is not always the best uses or implementation until the ecosystem is really rounded out. And now maybe you show up at the front door and it automatically authenticates you when your phone is close enough via near field communication, for example. And as you're walking in, it turns the lights on, or maybe as you're driving down the road within a, a geo fence of 15 minutes it turns your heat or air conditioning on and just to put some smarts into the home. Mm -hmm. th that's, that's a complete ecosystem that I value. I mean, every time I leave uh, our, our cabin up North, which is over an hour away from our, our primary residence, I jump on, I have a nest and I, I take it out of the eco mode and, and turn the heat up or put the AC on. So mm -hmm. it's the right temperature when we arrive home. So we're comfortable. Those things I find are really beneficial and practical because when we're not, at a certain residence, it's saving us money. That, that technology is doing its best to keep the heat at its lowest, the AC off, whatever, depending upon the outside temperature time of year, that type of stuff. I'd like to see that um, taken to the next step of, of adoption because there you can make a difference. There you're saving energy, saving money, saving electricity, saving fossil fuels. You know, it, it, it speaks to the, your carbon footprint. It, it speaks to you know, a greener planet and making a difference at what cost. So you got to balance that out because it's going to cost some money and it's going to compromise at some point, some level of security versus convenience. So you, there's so many mm -hmm. things to weigh in, but I think we're getting there. I'm seeing the smart home becoming an exciting arena for new products and, and it's all embracing wireless technology, which is really the heart of our business mm -hmm. at the intersection of what cybersecurity. So keeping wireless safe is what we often focus on with our products, tools, and, and education, uh, exciting things ahead. Yeah. I agree with pretty much everything you said, except I just want to remind you and the audience that never underestimate the power of laziness and convenience. You know, once you get that convenience, I'll, I, I, the first time I used Apple pay on my watch, for instance, it was like, Oh, it's a novelty. It's cool. And the next time it was fast and easy by the 10th time, the 20th time, hundredth time, I was like, why would I ever, I don't ever want to pull a credit card out of my wallet yeah. again. There's no reason to, because it's less secure. And I just, I'm just that lazy that like, what's so long as they have 
uh, an Apple Pay kiosk, why should I have to pull out my credit credit card? It's almost like I'm indignant about that, you know. Yeah. And oh, yeah. it's it gets to the point where you almost prefer certain vendors because they support certain platforms. And I'm like, oh, your credit card only? Sorry, I'll yeah. I'll go to the next guy over, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I and I have to say, and and maybe to your credit, you've turned me on to Apple Pay a number of years ago. I was a little bit of a I tend to hold out. You're an early adopter and embracer and, and of, of things. I'm a little bit more paranoid and, and skeptical. And, and once I started using Apple Pay and got comfortable with it, I understand and appreciate it for from the security perspective, how much more secure it is than whipping out my credit card in fear of skimmers and things like that. And now that I use it, I agree with you. I actually tend to shop at places that will accept Apple pay. And I'll even ask them initially, you guys do accept Apple pay. If I call a, you know, a place I want to pick up, I, I want to go to Chipotle or something and make sure that my app is tied in with Apple pay to pay it so again, convenience, place the order. It is part of that to make our lives more convenient and keep it secure. And, and to me that that's a wonderful winning combination. I wish more people would do it. I think it's it's coming. It, it's probably one of the slower things. I, I maybe I equate that to the adoption of like electric vehicles. It, it's it's part of it's it's the knowledge, the understanding, building out the the infrastructure for it. Those things take decades to to take something where you, you've got a credit card or a debit card for that matter, a piece of plastic that that's ingrained in people, how they purchase. That was revolutionizing you know, payment in, in commerce decades ago, but there's no reason that we still have to do it because there's something that's so much better. That's not just more convenient, but it's a lot more secure that to me, you know, it's encrypted, knowing there's a one-time tokenized transaction, knowing that my uh, credit card information is not being sent through the payment portal. Only the issuing bank holds my credit card and tapped into my account. I feel good and I feel secure and I don't yeah. have to worry about it. And as long as I keep the phone near and dear to me that I control and, and secure, I can look down and see my transactions T to the point where we're going to go to a, a hockey game soon. And I didn't realize I could do this, but I was buying tickets. We bought tickets, did it through, through Apple pay. And it asked if I wanted to download it onto my wallet. And I'm sitting there saying how in the world or why in the world would I put tickets to a game on my wallet. And then I start to think about it from a security perspective and a physical perspective, losing the tickets or this happens, that happens. And I said, yeah, sure. I hit the button and boom, it was done instantly. Mm -hmm. I love it. Now, from now on any concert I go to or any sports venue or anything else with the family, I'm going to put it, put it through my, uh, my wallet and keep it secure. Makes yeah. sense. Well, it's like that famous uh, security. I don't know what they call it, but the security triangle. You know, you have the, yeah. the three sides of trade-offs. You got what convenience, features, and security. Yeah. Now, you're never going to get all those 100%. It's impossible. So, you know, you, you take what you can get. But when you have a product that hits all three of those and does a decent job, it may not be 100% on all three, but you get 95% on all three. That's a winning, you know, that's a winning combo that it's hard to turn away from. Yeah. Yeah. You're so, so true there. Excellent. Well, so some great stuff there. And if anybody gets a chance, go back to those articles. They're talking about 
some of the smart gadgets that uh, were re recently announced at CES 2020 there in Vegas, uh, doorbells, light bulbs, robots, uh, popular science. We also had a nice chat there about AirTag and, and some of the privacy implications from uh, the article there at CNET. And then also there the uh, Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 7 from that article there in uh, the, the Verge magazine. And uh, as we kind of wrap up, I just want to remind everybody that uh, we want to thank our, our sponsor, that this episode is sponsored by Cyberlytica, providing proactive cybercrime intelligence. For more information about Cyberlytica and all the great stuff they're doing, please take a minute, go visit their website at cyberlytica.com. Right. And that, that kind of wraps us up for this week's episode. And I just wanted to take take a moment as we get into this new year and, and thank our our growing our growing listener uh, base as uh, we're seeing downloads uh, uh, increasing. I had some nice feedback of, of our first couple episodes. A few people reached out to me and said that they, they, they subscribed to it. They've been listening to our weekly conversations, really enjoying it. And, and they like the uh, the insight that the, that they're hearing and and they're learning things as well. So I, I think too for us, we're learning from one another and learning as we continually dig into technology, cybersecurity, and uh, as we cover it from two different perspectives from two different coasts. It, it's certainly been uh, been an enjoyable episode. All right. Well, with that, uh, this is Craig Schober signing out from Long Beach, California. Excellent. And this is Scott Schober signing out from central New Jersey here at our headquarters, Berkeley Veritronics in Metuchen, New Jersey. Everybody have a good one. Stay safe. Bye now. <laughs>